Hello, friends. You're listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the Reverend Mary Vano, and today I'm speaking with the Reverend Rob Leacock, who is also an Episcopal priest and chaplain at Episcopal Collegiate School here in Little Rock. He's a dad with three young kids. He loves soccer, he sings and plays guitar, and he always has something amusing or insightful to say, and oftentimes both. So I'm glad that Rob is with us today, and I also want to give Rob credit as being my inspiration for this podcast. Near the end of the school year, he collected all kinds of questions from his students and teachers at his school, and then he put together a wonderful video in which he answered all of their questions. Some were serious and some were inane. I think they ranged from (laughs) what is the Holy Spirit to what's the deal with the Wiggles, (laughs) right? That's pretty much the spectrum, yeah. So I thought it was great, and it did spark the idea for this podcast. So, Rob, what should we talk about today? You know, now that English professional soccer is resumed, I thought we could talk about how the end of the league, probably not, probably don't want to talk about English soccer. You know I I can't keep up with you. (laughs) It's true. Well, you know, you and I had discussed this from the beginning. And the funny thing about the Q&A with the kids is that that is like the kind of thing that I reserve for when I really don't have anything else. But the beautiful thing was, is that I got this really great response from the community. And because we were doing a virtual chapel, I could do this sort of extended, it was like 45 minutes, but I got to answer all of the questions. And it was kind of fun to really sit the sort of weird questions about the wiggles and things notwithstanding. It was kind of fun to do. A thing that I think about a lot is I'm sure you do, not just our vocation, but really the idea and the experience of like, what is the life of a priest? What is a priest? What do we do? And I I mean that it's a job that we do. I mean, you're in a parish, I'm in a school, there's all sorts of things, both sort of particular and general, and everybody probably has their own take on what the job is. And there's probably also lots of perceptions and misperceptions about who and what a priest does, but it's also more than a job. There's a lot more to my experience and role as a priest than just the job that I do. But at the same time, like I realize that I don't really differentiate a lot between like the job part of it and the other sort of more nebulous thing. I was thinking about an article in a church publication a couple of years ago about whether or not our job was to pray and whether or not that was part of the job or do we pray on the clock or on our own time. And it was a sort of strange meditation. But I often find that I want to talk to colleagues about their sense of their job and role as a priest and sort of ongoing sense of calling and vocation. I don't know if that's a really tidy topic, but it's something that I think about a lot. And again, I often want to know what colleagues have to say about it. And it's a conversation I don't think that we often have as colleagues. It is a strange vocation that we share. It feels like that to me. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, what am I going to do today? There's the whole to-do list. There's never a shortage of that. But then there's the question of what does God want me to do today that can be both more compelling and more nebulous. So how did you know that you wanted to do this, come to think that God was calling you into it? I feel like probably like you, I have answered that many times over the last decade plus, and I find that I often have a very stock and trade answer. So I tried to think of it as what is my more earnest and perhaps vulnerable way of explaining it. I just had enough people tell me that that's what I should think about until that's all that I could think about. It didn't happen in a sort of dramatic 
it wasn't like something suddenly clicked. I just sort of drifted into it. Then I looked up and realized that that was all that was there. I have sometimes said that it was the secret that everybody knew but me. But it didn't take me that long to figure it out. I just, when I began to finally articulate what I was thinking with my calling, I just had a lot of people go, oh, well, we were just waiting for you to get around to considering it and thinking about it. And a lot of people saw it in me. And again, I just sort of reached a point where it just occupied my imagination so much. But what's interesting is that when I finally did become a priest, what it has been like has been very different from what I imagined it would be like, (laughs) (laughs) which is sometimes a sort of interesting thing. Like I look back and I go, I was so convinced that I should be a priest. And yet it is very different from what I thought. How do I reconcile those two things? There are a lot of little anecdotes that go along with that of people who sort of helped me figure it out. But it's a way of saying that I figured it out in the beginning, but there's been much more figuring out that continues even now after I've been a priest for 13 years now. How old were you? I was like 19. I was 18 or 19. I was right in college, right at the time when a person sometimes starts thinking about, I should start thinking about what I want to do with my life. I was young at the time, and there was a lot about the world that I did not know, and a lot about myself, of course, that I did not know. So it came at a very sort of interesting point in my own personal growth and maturity. But what about your calling? What is your sort of story there? There are some similarities. I was 15. A couple of people in sort of random ways told me they thought I ought to consider being a priest. Maybe a little bit unlike you, I had grown up in a clergy household, my father being a priest. And so my immediate reaction was, no way. (laughs) I know what my dad does. I can think of better things to do with my time. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd also grown up in this household where we had what I think of as a high sense of vocation. And maybe that's unusual, but in my house, we did things because we felt God was calling us to them. So the big things were we moved, moved from Mississippi to Tennessee. We moved from Tennessee to Texas. And every time that was presented to us as children, it wasn't just, well, dad has a new job offer. It was God is calling us to go. With that being part of the storyline, I did not doubt that God called people but I did doubt whether God was calling me. So I remember very clearly a moment when I was just sort of frustrated because several people had told me (laughs) that they really thought I ought to consider being a priest and I was going, no, mm -mm, I don't like this idea. I remember praying to God, God, if this is serious, you need to give me a sign (laughs) because I'm not going to take this seriously until the suggestion comes from you. It's one of the few times in my life where I felt like God's response to me was immediate and clear. And the response was, you have heard me, (laughs) Mary. (laughs) You know what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) So that was a strange event in my life. It has shaped everything since. The journey didn't always take the expected routes. But after a certain point in there, I never doubted again that this was what God was calling me to do with my life. So you said a minute ago, Rob, that being a priest has not always met your expectations of what being a priest would be. What are the things that surprise you? 
it's one of those things where I wish I could remember more clearly what my imagination was, but I tried to think of like really the sort of specific things about being a priest that have really like sort of been a consistent theme in my vocation. And the one I think is obvious, and that is that I'm still, I'm not quite the priest that I'm called to be yet. And I'm still learning and growing in my ministry. And that is sometimes like awesome and wonderful. And sometimes it's frustrating and uncertain, but you and I and others, we go through this process where we talk to people and we meet with people and and they help sort of guide and form us. And we go to three years of seminary where we like cram in a lot of learning and eventually the church consents to ordain us. And it's like, there's this big buildup to this culmination of all of this work and prayer and discernment. And we're finally a priest. And like, I knew so little about being a priest the moment that I was made a priest. There's part of me that thinks like I would have been ordained and suddenly I would have known (laughs) that there would have been really the ontological change in me would have been so dramatic, but it didn't happen that way. I think something that's continued to surprise me, right, is that I knew that I should be a priest. I had a very strong sense of my calling, but I've had to devote a lot of energy to continue to understand what that means. And part of that, I think, is you don't just get all the answers. I've continued to have to do a lot of my own spiritual work, the same work that I think anybody who's trying to live a life of faith has to do. In a way, I don't think being a priest maybe gives me that much of an edge in that respect. The other thing that has sort of surprised me, again, this relates to the difference between what I imagined it was and what it's been, is being a priest in a lot of ways, I mean, you said a minute ago, it's a very strange job sometimes, but it's also very mundane. You know, maybe it's our culture or whatever, or even the church that wants to make priests into a very sort of special or peculiar category. But a lot of what we do is not that remarkable. It's very ordinary and simple stuff, really. I think probably the difference is is that to me a priest is really called to be a mediator between the ordinary and the divine so a lot of times you and i are doing very ordinary things in an effort to bear witness to the divine breaking into that but most of the time we're just going about our day-to-day lives and jobs and making copies and Sending emails. Yes, sending emails. Yeah, oh my gosh, sending so many emails. (laughs) Failing to respond to emails in a timely fashion too. And I don't know if those are like huge surprises. They're just sort of these realizations that I've had about being a priest. More recently, I have seen less of a distinction between the job part of a priest and sort of the deeper, more existential understanding of a priest. I think I used to see them as separate, and then I've begun to realize that they're not, that really my own sort of personal spiritual work and development is inextricably tied to the job of being a priest, and trying to separate them has not been helpful for me all the time. And I don't know that I understand how they're tied together, but I know that in recent years, that's been a shift that my sort of, Mm -hmm. my understanding of both the job part and who I am existing as a priest have begun to shift more closely together. I 
was nine months pregnant with my firstborn <laughs> when I was ordained. You know the tradition. Usually you go back to your home diocese to be ordained, and I was too pregnant to even fly, so I couldn't get back to California, which had been the plan. So instead, my bishop, who was so generous, flew to Texas to ordain me. You know the moment of ordination in that service, people lay their hands on you. You're kneeling down, the bishop lays his hands on your head, and others come around yes. and lay their hands on your shoulders. There's this huge crowd and this yes. huge you, weight. Yeah, you feel them leaning yes. uh, against you, <laughs> bracing themselves. <laughs> and we all pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. I can't fully describe exactly what that was like, but when I have attempted to describe that, I have most often said that that ordination was for me like putting on my own skin. Yeah. I became in that moment more fully myself in a way that I couldn't be until I was ordained. That's not everybody's path, obviously. Ordination is a sacrament that is only necessary for those who are called to it. But for me, because I was called, the ordination was necessary. It was how I became more fully who God has made me to be. So it was both tremendous difference, but also just being given permission to yeah. do the things that I'd been made to do. So I understand what you were saying there about, you know, this mediation between the ordinary and the divine. Because this was just weeks before Drew was born, I sort of became a priest and a mother at the same time. That also has given me a perspective about my vocation is not just to be a priest. My vocation is to be Stephen's wife and Drew's and Matthew's mother and a priest of the church. And it all gets mixed together as I do my best to follow where God leads. Right. So it's very ordinary most of the time. It's not rocket science. It's pretty straightforward in many ways. What are the moments that inspire awe in you? What are the things that keep you going? I think really it's mostly just been being reminded both consciously and unconsciously of how so many people treated me in my own nurture and growth in faith, and then trying to turn around and do the same in so many ways. I think it's really in a lot of relationship building and a lot of helping other people find out who and what they're supposed to be. Talked a little bit about like how people have certain perceptions of about their jobs or, or our jobs. One big one that gets put on me a lot is people say, oh, you work with kids or working with kids is great. And most of the time I just say, yes, it's lovely. Really what I often want to say is that's not really what I do. But they're like, you're a chaplain though. You're at a school. Don't you work with kids? And I say, yeah, but I really work with adults. I mean, that's really a lot of what I do. Most of the work I do is with other adults who, like me, are also working with kids. And I'm just part of that team of adults. I always am trying to act in support of what those adults have to offer. And I'm always trying to build relationships with them so that they feel supported in their gifts as we all try to help these kids sort of understand. That doesn't happen in really sort of grand ways. It happens in very small, almost imperceptible, incremental kind of things that over time might bear fruit. 
a chaplain that I know when I first became a school chaplain gave me perhaps the most helpful piece of advice. He said, Rob, do you remember when Jesus talks about the laborers in the vineyard, the harvest, and, and he needs people to go out into the harvest? I said, yes. And he goes, well, that's not chaplaincy. Chaplaincy is the sower. And the seed lands in the good soil and the bad soil and in the thorns and the rocks, but you just don't know. I think about that a lot, is that you're sowing seeds. And I think this is true of a lot of ministry, not just school ministry. You can't think about where every little seed lands, though we want to sometimes think, well, those are my seeds that I planted, but you may never see the fruit that it bears. But sometimes you do. And sometimes, you know, you think, okay, maybe I did manage to do something good. I think sometimes in ministry, people expect us to know the right thing to say or the right thing to do as though it is in a textbook or we have the chart that we look up the exact interpretation of the verse in scripture. I mean, when I teach Bible, that's often what my students think mm -hmm. that I'm doing for them. We don't always know. We have some good ideas. We try our best. And sometimes we see a little glimmer of what that can do, but a lot of times we don't. I don't know that I've ever had this really like grand, profound experience in ministry, but I've had a lot of small, seemingly inconsequential moments that have been like, this is your vocation. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what it's all about. There's so many little ones. It's hard to think of like any specific, <laughs> specific one to latch onto because again, sometimes they're so subtle and you don't even realize that they're happening. Here's one that I think about sometimes. My first year of being a school chaplain, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was brand new. And during the course of the year, I had helped a student out with a film project. And at the end of the year, he sent me a thank you note. And it read very much like a note that his mother had forced him to write. But at the end, he signed his name and then he put P.S., I'm glad you're here. You make religion tolerable. And it was like the most earnest thing. And I thought, I, okay, I did something. I managed to be a chaplain a little bit. I think about this, that I made religion <laughs> tolerable for this young man. I just know that because he wrote that in a note. And so I think, well, maybe for others, I did that too. And even though there wasn't a note, I can still trust that something happened. God worked through me somehow. Tolerable might just be the beginning. You don't know what God will do next in that person's life. So it's like we spread the seeds and occasionally we get to glimpse a little sprout if we're paying yes, attention. Yes. Rarely do we get to see the full grown fruit. And what about you? Occasionally, I also get to glimpse a little bit of God at work. And I get to do that more often when I'm paying attention for it. When I, you know, stop being preoccupied with my email inbox or whatever it is, when I'm paying attention, I can see little bits of growth here and there. And it feels like very often what I'm doing more than anything is just witnessing what God is doing. Yes which is a privileged position to be in, is yes. to be there for those moments when you get to bear witness to the blessing, the growth, the grace that God is giving. For instance, I was talking with someone just about an hour ago who had listened to my sermon for this week, and it sparked something in her that just allowed her to take the next step of growth that she was ready for. Of course, I did not intend to write a sermon that would speak to her in such a direct way. 
that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. So when I can step back and hear about it, it's amazing. And those are the sorts of small things that kind of keep me going. And I appreciate it when people allow me to be there for them. I think this is probably true of every profession or lots of professions. None of us, if we're not actually doing it, we don't understand what other people are doing. So so my dentist, for instance, you know, I spend all this time with a dental hygienist and then the dentist comes in and he peeks inside my mouth and he feels around my face and says, have a great day. I imagine that there's more to that (laughs) in his life, in his vocation, but I don't understand what he does as a dentist. I commonly find one of two misperceptions when people find out that I'm a priest. One is they think that I don't do anything other than pray and prepare (laughs) sermons. That's right. (laughs) They just think I'm living this mysteriously mystic life. And I, if that were true, right? <laughs> right. And I come out of my hermitage on Sundays <laughs> to see everybody. But yes, that's not true. <laughs> what is closer to the truth, but still not right, is that I'm just extraordinarily busy and there's all kind of demand for me. Yes, I am pretty busy. But what I sometimes hear are those people who say, yeah, I was having this crisis last month, but I didn't want to call you because I know you have lots of demands on your time. And I'm thinking, but this is what I'm here for. (laughs) So why wouldn't you call me when I could be there to help? So actually, I'm never so busy that I couldn't be there for someone in a time of need. And that's actually what I feel I'm most called to do and privileged to do is to be there with people, even if all I'm there to do is be by their side. That's where we experience some really amazing things when we are there in the midst of grief or struggle or heartbreak or celebration. And I can be there both to witness, but also just to bring a sense of God's presence and remind people that God is here with us in this room. That can be really powerful. way, but because people do say, oh, I didn't want to bother you. And I kind of want to say, like, I don't really want to answer all of these emails. I mean, (laughs) that's not, you don't want people to have crises just to spare you. And again, I think this relates, and I had made notes of this too, this exact note. We don't really know what people's jobs are. And we just make assumptions based on the TV and our very basic encounters of them. People see us in the pulpit for 10 to 12 minutes. But you and I know that that isn't preaching. Preaching is like hours of writing and trying to make coherent your thoughts and trying to stay sort of spiritually connected to the text and reading the text and reading it again and again. And it's sort of messy. And rarely do I finish a sermon and go, yeah, that's done. I'm ready to do this. I go, well, it's as close as I can get it. Of course, a lot of people's jobs are that. And it's not unique to being a priest, but There's, I don't know, some disconnect about what we think our roles and jobs in our communities really are. I imagine people will still think we're strange. (laughs) It's probably, it's probably true. The collar that we wear around usually indicates to people (laughs) that we're, well, people have different ideas about that collar. 
I think that's one of the struggles I continue to have is really trying to embrace my vocation, really trying to be the priest I think I'm called to be versus playing a priest on TV. Mm. Some of that's my own stuff. And some of it is that I think we fall prey to what people project on us. And sometimes it creates these interesting situations where somebody's like, I had this big problem, but I didn't want to bother you. And like, no, that you're supposed to bother me. That's really what my job is. That's always been kind of a thing in my own sort of trying to understand my vocation, what my job really is. It's little things like being the person that this happens to me at school all the time where like something is happening, maybe some special event. And they're like, oh, would you like to pray? And that always sort of an interesting, probably have a whole podcast on praying at events. Like we do pray, but that's kind of also not how we do it. It sometimes feels like a on-demand performance. Yes. Our role is to call people to a life of prayer as opposed to just stringing together three or four sentences that sound sort of nice and then say amen. And that sounds cynical to put it that way, but it's that sort of tension between what you and I are trying to do, living into our vocation, what we really feel called to, and sort of contending with looking the part, filling a different kind of role. Or maybe it's the tension between the job of the priest and the sort of deeper existential part of being a priest. To me, it feels sometimes that the praying at events is just maybe the most shallow representation of the priesthood. It's good to do but it's not what I seek to embody as a faithful priest. I'm there to help call people to a life that goes beyond the meeting or sporting event or whatever it is. You're defining it as being there to bear witness. A lot of what we do is we just show up to things and that's it. We don't even really do anything too extraordinary, but we're there to bear witness. And a lot of times, even when we're at our most priestly sort of function, when we're wearing the finery and we're up there at the altar or we're baptizing a child, all we're really doing is bearing witness to what maybe nobody else perceives is happening. I mean, when you baptize a child, that child has no idea, but you're just standing there putting some water on their head. It's not any kind of magic. It comes out of the tap. We call it holy water, but it starts out as regular water. Just bear witness to this sort of unseen thing that we know is happening, some real but invisible thing that is happening there. And then the parents take this little baby out into the world. Who knows? But we've done our part bearing witness. But that's not much different than me showing up at a baseball game and just sitting in the stands or a concert and listening. And I might say a couple of words of greeting to some parents or a student, and that's it. It's very not demanding of me. It's not very even priestly seeming, but there's not a great disparity between those sorts of things. But there's something about bearing witness that confers the blessing and makes things holy when we invite God into our midst. I don't want to speak for all of us. I think a lot of that also relates to the way that people bore witness for us when we didn't know that things were happening or we weren't aware. Part of that is people in our lives saying, you really should think about this priest thing, but it might have been less dramatic for us. It might have just been somebody acknowledging that we had gifts or desires to contribute in some ways. And we were blessed and then we are to make a blessing to others, right? It's all part of that ongoing narrative that we find in scripture. We're part of the story. You said a minute ago that you're not sure that you are yet the priest that God is calling you to be. 
how will you know when you are fully realized? What will that look like? I think about that from time to time. A few years ago, around the time I'd been a priest for about 10 years, I was beginning to think, I kind of finally feel like I've got a handle on this job. And I think part of that is just sort of age and wisdom and experience and maturity. And I had seen enough things enough times to not, you know, go, oh, what do I do every time something happened? I think theologically, this perhaps comes from my sort of Augustinian Lutheran idiom. I'm terribly nervous about complacency. So part of me hopes that I never feel like I have fully arrived. And I don't say that to be sort of falsely modest, but I do know that I've had enough times where I thought, I know exactly what to do, or I felt maybe a twinge of overconfidence that hasn't always served me well. I do continue to have a deepening sense of fulfillment about what I do. I don't always know how to articulate that, but it's the sense that I am, and sometimes in spite of myself or my good intentions, I am doing what God is calling me to do. But it's a lot of times challenging and often frustrating and sometimes agonizing, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's wonderful and happy but it's a myriad of things. It's a mix of things, but I still feel this sense of affirmation in that. But I also know that I still have things to learn and I don't know how to do everything. And I'm still growing in my own faith in all sorts of ways. So I don't know. What about you? Do you ever feel a sense like you've arrived or you're close to? No, (laughs) I do not feel like I've arrived or am close to arriving. I think occasionally there's like a moment where I go, yes, I'm on the path. And those moments are really times when I experience that fulfillment that you're talking about. And I can on occasion take delight in getting to use my gifts. Occasionally I preach a really good sermon and it's just like, okay, God used me today for something good. I usually don't know that until somebody can reflect back to me. (laughs) I'm grateful for those who do reflect back to me, those good times. And there are also occasionally times that are so hard that I think, oh, goodness, I don't want to be doing this. (laughs) And at the same time, I feel like this is why I'm here. God has allowed me to be here and God is going to help me do whatever needs to be done. That frankly is always borne out to be true. So somewhere down deep, there is this sense of fulfillment doing what I know God has made me to do. And I think that I'm so fortunate to have discovered my vocation and then to have been raised up by the church ultimately to do this work because I can't imagine that I would be very satisfied doing anything else. There are other things that I'm interested in, things that I might enjoy doing, but none of those things are what Mm. God has called me to. I sometimes try to imagine, like, what else would I do if I didn't do this? I don't like to think about it. It fills me with kind of a dread. Sometimes that makes it sound like, well, being a priest gives me the least amount of dread. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not it at all. It's sort of that baseline that reminds me that even when things are really, like you said, you experience things and you think, I don't know how I'm going to manage to get myself through this, much less anybody else. It's that kind of thing that helps you trust that somehow you will get by and get through it somehow, perhaps beyond your own knowledge and power. 
brings you joy, Rob? Oh, gosh. Many things in my life impart a lot of joy to me, or at least remind me of the reality of joy. And I was listening to some of the other podcasts you've done and really reflecting on some of the things that other people had said to me. And this doesn't really answer the question, but when I am reminded of something kind of like the acronym for this podcast is, when things direct me away from myself, that's when I understand the reality of joy. And that isn't always happy or welcome because sometimes I want everything to be about me and that (laughs) makes me happy. Um, But as I think on maybe the first podcast, there may be a difference between happiness and joy. To me, if I can be reminded that so much of what we do in our everyday lives and what we think of as reality is very transitory. And then beyond that is where, you know, we can experience the true and joyful reality of God's love. I was looking at verses of scripture that talk about joy, and I was literally like looking up where joy occurs. And, you know, Jesus uses joy a lot in the parables when he talks about the kingdom. There's like joy is inextricably tied to the kingdom, and the kingdom is this thing that's like just beyond what we think of as the real world, but it creeps in. And sometimes it's there without us paying attention, and sometimes we're sort of called to engage and kind of helping affect it. I think in my vocation, I do experience a lot of joy, obviously tied to that fulfillment. Lately, my prayer life gives me a lot of joy, or it reminds me, again, of that reality of joy. I don't know if saying it gives me joy is the right way of putting it for me, but it reminds me of things like Paul in Romans talks about the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us, or the psalmist who says, weeping spends the night, but joy comes in the morning. These sorts of things, you know, that this is what I think of with joy. And if I can be reminded of that, you know, I sit in the pews a lot, so I'm not often standing at the altar Being at the Eucharist is a place where I experience that reality a lot. It's been challenging as a previous podcast you guys discussed. My prayers or the Eucharist fill me with this deep longing. And it's kind of like when you get to know someone and the romantic feelings start to grow. (laughs) And when you're not with that person, you long to be with them. And when you are with that person, you don't want to be apart from them. The analogy breaks down after a minute, but it's that kind of feeling that I get. And the thought and feeling, do other people know this? Do they experience this too? And the feeling that I just, I hope so, with a deep part of my being, that I hope people know that longing of feeling near to Jesus, but wanting to be perhaps nearer to Him. I guess I'm saying I do experience a lot of joy, and I have a sense of what joy is for me. I try not to take it for granted. There are a lot of things about our world and our life that are frustrating and challenging and full of conflict and turmoil and are troubling. And yet something is at work that helps me to remember that those things will pass away or even the good things or the so-called good things, you know, the wonderful, the personal success that I enjoy or even my wonderful family, you know, these things We all have this sort of impermanent existence for the time being, but there's something else will prevail. And the more that I think that I can be reminded of that, I think the better I do. (laughs) And I'm not always reminded of it so easily. And I get caught up in all sorts of things that our present world wants to tempt me with. 
whatever helps me move away from my own sense of self or my self-importance or self-centeredness that makes me forget about myself, that I can really experience and understand joy as a profound theological reality that God intends for us. Well, you have reminded me of Frederick Buechner's definition of vocation. When he said, I think, that your vocation is where the world's great suffering meets your great passion. I don't know if we can substitute the word joy for passion there. Or maybe we could say that where our interests and skills and energy meet with some way in which we can help the hurting world, that is the sweet spot where we find joy. I think suffering wants to push so many things out, but joy is the thing that no amount of suffering can ever push completely out. Joy can never be edged out of the picture for us. It's like the kingdom. It's just there, ready to sort of overcome the suffering of our existence. Absolutely. This conversation has been about our vocation as priests I also, of course, believe that everybody has a vocation, that God has a purpose for every person on this earth, that we all have something to give, that we all have something worthwhile to offer, that we all have a way that we can help heal the world. And I think it's not easy to discover this vocation, but I do think that when we open ourselves up by listening and showing up, over and over again, even when we don't think we're getting anything from it. But when we just show up and find the courage to risk following God's lead, my experience is that will lead us to a full life. It could be a strange life (laughs) like ours, (laughs) but nevertheless, it will be a meaningful life, a life filled with joy when we're able to give the gift that God has given us to give. Yes. It sounds so easy when you put it that way. Now, I forgot. One of our other guests asked me to ask you for your Christopher Walken interpretation. Oh, my gosh. Your, your uh, I know impression. exactly who this is. So uh, for this one person who's a dear friend, I worked on my Christopher Walken impersonation for a number of years. I, I hope that this makes the, the podcast because that would bring me a lot of, maybe not joy, but some amount of happiness. Uh, come on. <laughs> Our joy is definitely complete <laughs> for today. <laughs> oh, everyone, thank you for listening today. Thank you, Rob, for being here. In the next month or so, I really want to do what Rob did for his students. I want to record a podcast that's all about your questions. If you have a question, something you're thinking about, it might be deep or it might be ordinary or it might be a little bit inane, send it to me at mbano at stmargaretschurch.org. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about. Please do listen again next time and remember that RJOY is incomplete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Bano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Mm-hmm.